0: Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. This sermon series, from now all the way through Easter, is called The Way, and it involves an examination of Jesus' teachings from his Sermon on the Mount, as found in the Gospel of Matthew. The importance behind this sermon series is that Jesus is revising many of the laws that we find in the Old Testament. It's important for our understanding as Christians to understand where he comes from and how he interprets those laws. I hope you enjoy this series.
1: Our first reading today is from the Old Testament book of Numbers. It's the very last chapter of the book of Numbers, and our reading today, verses 16 to 21, spells out very specifically the penalties for murder. Listen carefully. But anyone who strikes another with an iron object... And death ensues is a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. Or anyone who strikes another with a stone in hand that could cause death and death ensues is a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. Or anyone who strikes another with a weapon of wood in hand that could cause death and death ensues is a murderer and the murderer shall be put to death. The avenger of blood is the one who shall put the murderer to death. When they meet, the avenger of blood shall execute the sentence. Likewise, if someone pushes another from hatred or hurls something at another lying in wait, and death ensues, or in enmity strikes another with the hand, and death ensues, then the one who struck the blow shall be put to death. That person is a murderer. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when they meet. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Our second scripture reading today comes from Matthew chapter 5 verses 21 to 26. Jesus says, You have heard it said, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, that you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. So a little disclaimer this morning, my uh, my wife went out of town this weekend, first time she ever went out of town by herself without me, uh, and left the kids with me, and that was good for me, it wasn't so great for the kids, so they, uh, they, they were cool the first night. The second night, uh, last night, one of my kids was up constantly all the time, so my brain is not firing the way that it normally does it, this morning, so just bear with me if things get a little foggy in the middle of it. So... In order to talk about what we're going to be discussing today, this whole concept of anger and whatnot, I want to go back and just briefly review what we talked about last week, because that's important for what we're going to be discussing today. So last week, Jesus, he introduces this idea that we as Christians, we should be following this thing called the law. Now, the law is basically 613 different commandments that are found in the first five books of the Bible. This is better known as the Torah. Now, You all have not memorized the 613 commandments, have you not? I didn't think you had. Neither have I, by the way. But Jesus says you actually need to take these laws very seriously. They're important for your walk as a Christian. And so what I ended off by saying was, yes, I know we're not going to be memorizing these anytime soon. However, we do need to take them seriously. And that's what this series is about. Each week as we go through this series, we're going to be looking at these various laws and how Jesus treats them in his Sermon on the Mount. And today, we begin with the first law that he brings up. And of course, Jesus, he doesn't start small. He's not doing, you know, lying, cheating, stealing. He just goes straight to the top and starts talking about murder, right? He says about murder, he says, You have heard it said by those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and if you murder, you shall be liable to judgment. I think we can all agree in here that murder is a pretty horrific crime. Can we agree on that? All right. And the Ten Commandments, they actually show us how horrific a crime it is based on the tablets that were given to the Israelites. Now, I don't know if you know what that looks like in the Bible, the scene when Moses hands over the tablets to the Israelites, but we have a little movie here. You can watch it just so that we get a sense of where it's coming from. Lord, I shall give these laws unto thy
1: people. Hear me. Oh, hear me, all pay heed. The Lord, the Lord Jehovah has given unto you these 15, 10, 10 commandments for all to obey.
0: I've been waiting years to show that clip, years. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorites. Now, there were not 15 commandments, there were just 10. And on the two tablets, there were supposed to be five and five. So that means that the first and the sixth commandment are technically next to each other, right? The first commandment, I am the Lord your God, shall have no other gods besides me. And the other one being, of course, on the other side, the commandment not to murder. Now, the rabbis throughout history have said that the reason why these two commandments appear next to each other is that it's a reminder to us that all life comes from God, all life is sacred to God, and that ultimately God is the giver and taker of life. But regardless of the religious implications behind this particular commandment, I think we all know that without this moral principle, our society would not function. The value of a human life, it goes down significantly in a society where the commandment not to murder is not revered by the people of their communities. So if you live in a society where murder is commonplace, either due to war or lack of resources, then your life is going to be worth a lot less than in a society where law and order are the lay of the land. So let me give you an example of this. Right now in Venezuela, that is technically the murder capital of the world. 28,000 murders a year happen in that country. Now, that's the most of any country outside of Syria, which right now is in the middle of a civil war. The reason why they're in such dire straits is because there's an enormous lack of resources in that country. Their entire economy was propped up on oil. That's how they paid for everything. And as you all know, as you've been filling up your cars, oil's pretty cheap, right, right now. And so that's caused their economy to collapse. There is very little food. There is very little water. There's almost no medicine. And what has happened in this society, for those of us who, if you've sat there and you've read the reports coming out, it's gotten to the point where everybody sees everybody else as a threat. Because you're sucking up valuable resources that I need to survive. And when you're in a situation like that, it totally changes your mentality about death, and particularly murder, because all of a sudden, you don't see it as being such a bad thing because... Well, one less person, it's one less person taking up resources so that maybe I can survive. Now, in a society like ours, in America, where we have an abundance of resources, we have a very different attitude towards murder, don't we? When somebody's murdered in cold blood, we have a visceral reaction to it. So when Dylan Roof, he walked into that Bible study and shot nine members of the Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina... We were outraged by that. People were very, very upset, and they said, this man needs to be brought to justice, and thankfully he was. But in Venezuela, right now, those types of mass murders, they happen every single day, often out in broad daylight in the middle of the street, and rarely is anyone held accountable for their actions. So what this tells us is that the commandment not to murder, it's the linchpin that makes our society sustainable. Because when you live in a society that does not respect that commandment, then your life, it lacks predictability, and all of a sudden you are reduced to animalistic impulses because you always have to protect yourself. And I think the reason why he brings this up first, why it's the first of all the commandments he talks about, is because in truth, if you're not following that commandment, then you might as well not even bother with the rest, right? Because if that one's not being adhered to and you're always worried about somebody taking your life, those other 612, they don't matter. But thankfully, most of us, we are born with this internal moral compass that prevents us from taking other people's lives. It makes it very hard for us to murder another person. And there's only a very particular set of circumstances that can actually cause us to override that switch. And these circumstances, they can be grouped into three broad categories. The first is, you're a threat to my life, and therefore I need to kill you in order to save myself. The second is, you're a threat to somebody else's life, and I need to kill you to save that person. Or three, you have emotionally wounded me or my tribe so badly that I feel I have no other choice but to take your life as compensation. Now, we talked about the first two categories with the examples previously. I want to focus the rest of our time on this last category. Because in a stable society like ours, that is the most common reason why people end up taking life. So I want to start this conversation by asking you a question. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody has said or done something to you that is so offensive that your initial gut reaction is that you physically want to hurt that person. Have you ever been in a situation like that? I can tell you I've been in that situation many, many times in my life. When I was growing up, I've alluded to the fact that I went to a high school that could be pretty rough. There were lots of fights. And I've also alluded to the fact in previous sermons that I was picked on quite a bit when I was in high school. And I was picked on by these kids who were rednecks. Now, I don't say that as a derogatory term. I say that because that's what they called themselves. So most of the time, I would just take the abuse and look the other way. But I remember one day in particular, my anger got the better of me. And I stood up and I started going at this guy because I was just tired of all the abuse that was coming at me. And I was going to stand up for myself. I didn't care what the consequences were. And so as I started coming at him, he backed away. And he said, if you touch me, there'll be 10 rednecks on you before you can blink. Now, of course, I was focused on this guy and I wasn't looking at anybody else around me, but I looked and all these guys were starting to come in towards me. So I realized very quickly it wasn't going to be a fair fight. I was gonna get hurt pretty badly, so I backed down. But that was the incident that compelled me to want to start lifting weights because I wanted to be physically imposing enough that nobody would ever challenge me again. But of course, when you go to the gym, it's not like you go one day and you lift weights and you're huge all of a sudden, right? I mean, it takes years of work to get to that point. So, of course, in the middle of lifting weights and trying to get bigger, I still have to deal with all of this abuse that's coming at me, physical, verbal. And my anger is always in danger of boiling over. I was just mad all the time. And I remember I would go home after school, I'd put on my headphones, i listened listen to my music. And I would just envision these scenarios where I could violently hurt or even kill these people who were causing me so much trouble in my life. Now, I tell you that for a very specific reason. Because if you've never been in a situation like that, it can be very hard to understand how it feels when somebody is constantly provoking you towards anger. Because when you're in that situation and you're thinking about it all the time, it's not that much of a leap for your mind to jump towards violence and even murder. In fact, you can start obsessing about it to the point where you're thinking about it so much that your mind convinces you that violence is the only reasonable solution to your problem. And you think this thing in your mind, you think, if I could just eliminate this person from my life, then all my worries would go away. And of course, that's not true, is it? Because if I actually went out and I fought this guy, then my problems would get so much worse. Because now it wouldn't just be him or his friend who are focused on me. It would be all of these people, his, all of his friends. It would be all of his brothers, his cousins, all these people. And all of a sudden, I would be the target of a lot more animosity. And of course, this is exactly what we read today in the Old Testament reading. Let's look at that again real quick. It says, If someone pushes another from hatred or hurls something at another lying in wait and death ensues, that person is a murderer. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when they meet. So what is this saying? It's tit for tat, right? It's, you know, rage is met with rage. Violence is met with violence. Murder is met with murder. Whatever you dole out to me, I'm going to dole it out back to you and then some. Until eventually... This has escalated so far out of control that nobody can't even remember the original insult and why we were fighting in the first place. And there are whole societies that operate this way. Israel and Palestine, they are in a state of constant anger towards one another over the violence that each has inflicted on the other. They are so angry, they are so mad, they are so fearful of one another that in their minds... Murder is the only reasonable option to deal with their differences. And Jesus, He seems to understand this point. And He understands that the root cause of the escalating of conflict in our life is the emotion of anger. Because after mentioning the commandment not to murder, He says, But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, that you shall be liable to judgment. Or if you insult a brother or sister that you shall be liable to the council. Or if you say you fool that you will be liable to the fire of Gehenna. And Gehenna is how we translate hell. Violence always comes about as a result of anger. Anger is always the precursor to extraordinary violent actions. And of course, anger, the result of anger, the source of it, is Two things, misinformation and miscommunication. That's always where the source of anger comes from. So, this is why Jesus, after saying this, he moves on from anger and he says, so, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go. Be reconciled to your brother or sister and then give your gift. Jesus is saying that wherever you find anger, Wherever it comes to you, wherever that might be, whether it be with you, it starts with you, or with another person, you go to the source. You talk to the people who are involved. I think, looking back on it now, if I had actually just taken the time to talk to this kid who was causing me so many problems, that we probably could have worked through our differences. And on top of that, we probably would have figured out we had a lot more in common than we realized. Now, of course, you're in high school, so that generally doesn't happen. But just to say, you know, it could have occurred if you sit down and you deal with it. But that didn't happen because we didn't communicate with each other. And so the anger it just kept building and building. There was no attempt at understanding. There was no attempt to talk through our differences. And ultimately, we had no desire to do so. We just thought the worst of each other, which, of course, made everything a lot easier, doesn't it? It's very black and white. I'm good. You're bad, and the less I know about you, the easier it is to hate you, and to hurt you, and to label you my enemy. But, if I get to know you, that changes things, doesn't it? Because if I get to know where you're coming from, if I get to know your problems, if I get to know the things that are going on in your life, well, it's a lot harder to hurt you. And it puts all of your words and actions in this much larger context. So even if you've been horrible to me, once I get to know you, and get to know the situations that you are in, well, I start to develop empathy and sympathy for your situation. You see, I'll tell you, as a pastor, when people come and talk to me, 90% of the problems that I see could be resolved if the people were willing to sit down and have an actual conversation about their differences. But of course, in order for that to happen, you have to have two people who are willing to talk. Sometimes one person's willing, sometimes another. Sometimes even when they speak, They're not having a real conversation. So you all know, yes, that's obvious. Clearly, we should talk, right? But it's much easier said than done, isn't it? I had to go through years of therapy to get to the point where I could actually put this teaching into practice. When people used to insult me when I was younger and somebody insulted me, it would derail me for days, sometimes weeks, because I would be thinking about this insult in the back of my mind continuously And I'm trying to think, what are all the various scenarios for why this person said this to me? So rather than just go to the source and talk to the person, my anger got built up. And of course, who bears the brunt of that anger? It's going to be my loved ones, because they're the ones who are right there. Whereas the person who I'm angry with, they're not even around, right, to deal with it. Now, my therapist, she taught me something that I carry with me to this day. And I thought it was very interesting the first time I heard it. She said, Alex, anger is always a choice. People always choose when they allow themselves to become angry. Now, when I first heard that, I really adamantly disagreed with it. It kind of made me angry. I'm going to tell you that right (laughs) now. (laughs) Because to me, that's not what anger felt like. Anger didn't feel like a choice. To me... Anger came as a result of people saying or doing things that really ticked me off, right? I mean, that's generally how it feels. But she said, no, no, it's a choice. You don't realize it's a choice because you are angry so often that you don't realize that you're giving yourself permission to become angry, but you are. And then she said something to me that has totally transformed my life. She said, my goal with you during our time together is to get you to the point where you can make the choice, if you want to, to never be angry again. Now, I will tell you that when I heard that, I wasn't so crazy about that idea. Because I think deep down inside, I kinda liked being an angry person. You know, I liked the ability to dominate and overpower someone with my anger. When things weren't going my way, or somebody wasn't doing something that I wanted, and I could just yell and scream and get angry at them, make them bend to my will. There's power in that, right? But what made me change my mind was actually reading these verses because at the time I was going through therapy, I started reading these verses again and I'd read them dozens of times, but something dawned on me that I'd never really realized before up until this point. And that's that what Jesus is saying in this verse is that anger is sinful, which I never really put together before because think about what he's saying here. He is saying that from God's perspective, the emotion of anger you feel in your heart is just as important to God as the consequences that come from that anger, like violence and conflict and murder, which raises a really tough question for us. Is it wrong for us to ever feel the emotion of anger? Now, some scholars have argued Yes, you should never feel the emotion of anger, that that actually is sinful, and every time you do it, you're wrong. But I would like to argue this morning that, no, that is not the case. I think you can feel the emotion of anger without allowing yourself to become angry. Let me explain to you what I mean by that, because that may not make a lot of sense, but let me explain. So, when you feel the emotion of anger, generally speaking, what that tells you is that some line or boundary has been violated in a relationship that you're in or something that's going on in the world. So for instance, I know that for many women, if a man speaks down to them or disrespects them, that is a line that has been crossed, that can cause a lot of anger, am I right? Okay, so that tells you something is wrong, something has happened, a line has been transgressed. For me, personally, I get very angry when I see great injustice in the world. So for instance, I was watching a month ago when those people from Aleppo, do you remember in Syria, the civilians were allowed to leave, and Al-Assad's snipers, they were up there, and they were shooting these people who had nothing to do with the war as they were leaving the city. They were shooting men, women, children. They were trying to snipe as many of them as possible. That made me angry to watch that happen because that told me, that emotion of anger told me that a line had been crossed and something was wrong but in feeling the emotion of anger, I did not allow myself to become angry. I made a choice not to allow that anger to overtake me and consume me. Do you understand what I'm saying? So in this regard, the way that I think of anger now is that it's almost like that light that comes on in your car that you see when your engine's about to overheat, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, so If I feel the emotion of anger coming up inside of me, what that tells me is that there's a problem, right, coming my way. So I know that it's coming. But what I do is I slow down and I stop before the engine overheats and I can't use the car anymore, right? That's what I do because then I see the problem and I don't allow it to become an issue, And this has transformed the way I deal with all my relationships, my relationship with my wife, my children, and particularly as a pastor. Because now, when somebody comes at me and they insult me, or they're hostile towards me, which happens more often than you would realize, (laughs) I don't take it personally. Because I know that when somebody comes at me in that way, that's an opportunity for understanding. Because if you're coming at me, and you're hostile. And pastors, they get a lot of that from people, right? Because think about it. You're sitting there. You're listening to me talk to you. And all these thoughts are going through your mind. You can't say anything, or you could. But you, 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 you choose not to. And then going out the door on the way out, right, something comes out that you say about how you feel about something, wherever you are. And so when I hear, if somebody says something that's angry towards me, I see that as an opportunity where I can get to know What's going on? Because clearly if you're hostile, something's going on in your life. So if you're willing to open up to me and talk to me, then maybe we can actually talk about what the real issue is, and maybe I can help. And so my prayer for you this morning is that when you think about this whole commandment, we've been talking through this whole commandment this morning about anger. I hope you don't fear anger. Anger is not something to be feared. The emotion of anger, when you feel it, it lets you know, it's a sign, right? Something's gonna go wrong, something's going wrong. And so if you have a problem with another person, if you have a problem with what they've done to you, or somebody has a problem with you, follow Jesus' advice, go to that person, be reconciled, have the conversation. It is very hard to do, but have that conversation. Use your anger as an opportunity to talk about what's wrong in your relationship or what's wrong with the world. But do not allow your anger to overtake you and consume you. This is so important. Don't allow your anger to siphon people off into good, bad, friend, enemy. Because the reality is, people are so much more complex than any of those categories. And take it from me. As a person who has spent a lot of his life being angry, it is not worth literally one second of your life. It's not worth wasting one second of your life being angry at another person. So, let's do what Jesus says. Let's live lives of forgiveness and reconciliation because as he tells us, anything less isn't a life worth living. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Prez family of faith.